Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Chad Sanders. And I'm Julie Bowen. And welcome back to Quitters. Today, we are talking to Kaylin Allen. So Kaylin Allen, uh, I actually don't know how to describe Kaylin Allen. Well, he he certainly defied all expectation because he started out as a guy who made funny videos, like YouTube videos, commenting on food. And then Ellen discovered him and he was a man that was ready to meet his moment. Yeah. And a young man who was very ready to meet his moment, which I admire. I think, yes, there's a bit of a pattern, which is that I judged Kalen. Is this a person who makes white people feel comfortable? Which wouldn't be his fault, but it also just made me a little angsty about what would the conversation be like. And then once we got into conversation, I saw a full human being, a big human being in spirit, somebody who's himself. I really like this dude. I think that there is a theme that comes through in some of these interviews, Chad, that's about your journey. And it's easier for me to see this Mm because I'm on the outside Are you allowed to be happy as a young black man? Mm -hmm. Are you allowed to make other people happy? I watch you struggle with that. And it's interesting because you brought up when we were talking to Kalen that he worked for an older white woman, Ellen, and you work with an older white woman, me. Is there a struggle? Is there a learning curve? I think what underlies all of it is there's such a distrust, distrust of whiteness and media. And like you said, it's a learning process. And I'm going through it now as we do this show. And it is way more emotional than I thought it was going to be. But I think that's good. I think that's how I know something's happening. One of the questions was who gave him permission to be this much himself? It seems like from childhood, he felt like he could only be himself. And it seems like Ellen saw someone who was this very bright light and she was like, let me give some space for this bright light to shine even brighter. And that's cool. It really (laughs) left us both going, we want more, we want more. So with that, here's Kaylin Allen. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. Kaylin, welcome to Quitters. Woo woo. I'm excited. Are you really? <laughs> I am. You are now a celebrity. <laughs> and you are allowed to say, some of this is tiring. With you, when I got the email, I was like, oh, absolutely. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> she can't ask, but I have to ask. What do you like about her? I mean, you know, I'm a fan. How can you not be? You know, with being at the Ellen DeGeneres show, the cast was always there. And so I'm just a fan. Yeah. We were there a lot for a long ass time. Yeah. You know, me and Eric Stone Street are both from Kansas City. But he's a farm boy. You a farm boy? We grew up actually in the same county. If he told you he was a farm boy, Piper, Kansas isn't necessarily the farm, but we can let him go with that if that's what he want (laughs) to identify as. But yeah. 
Well, he had some funny stories about being in school. They would come over the PA and say, someone's pig is loose. <laughs> Everybody had animals. I guess I put farm onto it because I figured if you have a pig, you have a farm, right? See, if you're going down the highway in Kansas City, you will probably see a cow. You'll probably see some type of animals. People have animals all the time. You mean just on the road? There's like houses and it's not necessarily always a farm. Sometimes it's just people that just got animals. <laughs> and you didn't have animals? No, uh -uh, I just had a dog. We weren't doing the livestock. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious, are you coming here today with a quit in mind already? Well, I have something that I have been considering quitting that I haven't quit, but I technically kind of quit because I'm taking this semester off from grad school at NYU. Right. Oh, okay. Yes. And you were studying journalism? Yes. I took the semester off because I have realized that I do a lot of things, and this is from childhood, just because I can say that I did it. And not necessarily because I wanted to. And I think while being in the program, I was like, do I actually need to do this? So I took a semester off so I could really refocus and figure out if it's something that I want to continue. When I was coming up in acting, I felt like I had to take Shakespeare. Mm. I would wait tables all year long, save up as much money mm. as I can, and I would go away in the summer for like a six or eight week program and do Shakespeare. I've never done Shakespeare, but having that in my pocket, like it meant something, I had this little stamp of approval. Do you feel like that about grad school? So for undergrad, I got my degree in acting. I did theater and film. And I can agree with that sentiment, absolutely, of feeling as though all these different things that they tell you that you need to do may not be necessary for what you want to do. I definitely struggle with that, especially when a lot of the stuff that was in the curriculum was kind of stuff that I already knew how to do. Right. But does it feel good to have that degree anyhow? I mean, yes. And you'll probably understand this, especially when you enter into this Hollywood industry. People like to put you in a box, uh -huh. you know, and they're, they're like, do this one thing. With me knowing that I wanted a talk show at some point, it was like, well, if I get this degree, you can't tell me that I can't do this because I got a degree in it. That is so right. What box are you feeling boxed into right now? I think there's kind of two parts. I think a lot of times people only want the food reaction videos, you know? Uh -huh. And for me, it's like, I'm not trying to be 80 years old still talking about food in my bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that is just not the goal. When you live in the comedy space, think of it like this. We got amazing comedians, Eddie Murphy and Jim Carrey, all these people who have never won any awards for their performances because comedy is not seen as acting or is not taken as seriously as dramatic actors or anything in that space. So when you are seen as the fun person, people only want you to entertain and they see you almost as if you're like a joke all the time and people don't take you seriously. Yeah, they think it's easy. But Julie, you're an awarded actor who was in the comedy space. How did you pull that off? You know, I got lucky because I know exactly what Kalen's talking about. If you start as the suitcase girl on Let's Make a Deal, they keep referring to you as a suitcase girl when you marry Prince Harry. Meghan Markle can never escape that. And I did start in dramas and I kind of pounded the pavement. I was respected enough just as a workaday actor. I wasn't doing stand-up in clubs and then did a multicam. If you do stand-up in clubs and then you go and do home improvement, everyone goes, yeah, well, you're just a comedian. Mm -hmm. As if it's easy to make people laugh. It is so hard. I could cry on cue and I cannot make people laugh on cue. That's much, mm. much harder. Mm. So I don't know. I guess I got lucky. 
I think it also depends on the type of comedy you act in. Yep. You know, I think character acting isn't taken very seriously. And I think physical acting, you talk about that multicam sitcom life. Mm-hmm. I think those are two different places because I think Lindsay Lohan would be considered a comedic actor, but she was able to thrive in that space as well. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have a payday or an award? Ooh, payday. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Payday. The priorities are right. Yeah. But but Kaylin, you started the conversation by saying comedians are not awarded. They are awarded cash. Yeah. Well, I mean, more so. Okay. So let's say recognition. Right. Recognition to just feel like what you do and your work is being appreciated and seen. Okay, but that's reflected in the number of followers you have, and that's reflected in all the jobs that you're getting and how your schedule's booked up. Yes. Does it ever feel like enough? It doesn't feel like enough. It almost feels as though you're always continuously trying to prove yourself. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe the award kind of makes it feel like, ah, look, I got this now. Every time somebody wins like an Oscar Emmy, everybody always says, well, the price just went up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I felt the opposite. It was like the little engine that thinks they can and they get to the top of the hill and they hand you the award and then they go, and now you're going downhill. Mm, that can happen to some people. I want to go back to Kansas City. Yeah. Did you become an achievement addict in childhood? Oh, yeah. How did that happen? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so first of all, I was in the gifted program and it was like my number one mission to get into the gifted program. Then at the age of 12, I was already the president of our NAACP Youth Council in the county. I did a lot of leadership. When I was in high school, I was on the student board of directors for the Federal Reserve Bank of America. What the? Like, why was I in that? What? What did they do? We didn't do anything. We literally <laughs> met every week and talked about money and stuff. I felt as though if I was achieving things, that meant that I was worthy. Yep. And that may be a parenting thing. I think my mother kind of instilled that into me. <laughs> I needed to just always be successful and achieve. And I think it's also messed with me in adult life because I think when it comes to dating, I was told that if I had a stable career, could cook, clean, hold up a household, that made me the perfect husband. So then once I reached that point and then I was out here trying to find a man and I still <laughs> couldn't get one, I have been sold something that is not true. But hold on. I have a hard time believing you can't find a man. You can't find a man that you want. Is that how it is? Yes. Okay, let's say that. If I wanted a man, I could have one right now. Right. But I got certain standards, you know, and certain checklists, and everybody don't always check out on boxes. What's on the checklist? Yeah, well, that would tell us what the list is. It's really personality-wise. You have to have a very strong sense of self. Right. Because I do. Yeah. I'm a very confident person. So if I'm walking around, you can't be intimidated by the confidence that I hold. You have to be able to hold your own in every space that we walk into. You have to have ambition. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's or whatever. You got to have dreams and aspirations to be working towards getting there. You want somebody with goals and dreams. Yes. You wouldn't be okay with a coat holder. Somebody who is really good looking. The sex is great. He loves you. And every time you go to an event, he holds your coat and he is supportive. No, he can do that. But he's a stay at home graphic designer. He just wants to be there for you. My question is, well, are you the head graphic designer? (laughs) Okay, so the requirement is you need someone who's at the top of something. It doesn't matter what it is, but they need to be ascending or at the top of some structure. Yes, you want more out of life. Mm. Because if you don't, if you aren't a go-getter, you aren't going to understand how I operate and how I move. What if it's a counterbalance? And I say this as someone who's single. Do I want that person who matches my energy, which is a lot? Or do you want somebody who's like, Kaylin, I get you. 
I love you. I support you. I want you out there burning it out. And when you come home, I got you, baby. Yes, but... but... <laughs> I mean, okay, let me ask you this, Julie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Since you are single, yeah. do you feel as though often people are more interested in the experience of you? Like, they want to know what it's like to date Julie Bowen. Like, they want to walk the red carpets. They want to know what that Hollywood life is like. Is it glittering? They think I wake up with full hair and makeup. I'll tell you that. No, there's zit cream when I go to bed at night. It is not cute. I can get cute, Mm -hmm. but it's 90 minutes in a hair makeup chair. I have energy, and I think that my life is interesting and fun, and I don't mind sharing that. What I can't stand is this expectation that I'm constantly in hair makeup and wardrobe looking ready to go. I can't Mm -hmm. bear that. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy a little hair makeup? I mean, you look picture perfect to me right now. I don't often wear makeup, but every time I step out of my house, I'm fully dressed. You are dressed. Mm. I've seen your videos. You wear a fur when you're cooking with your mom. Okay, like I am... (laughs) I am... Fully dressed and living my life. When I'm at home, I'm very just chill, hanging out. But when I step out the door, I'm ready to present myself. So are you saying that dudes want to participate in the Kaylin experience when they date you? They want to be seen. They want to feel they're doing something cool. And it's not actually about you. That's what you're saying. Yes. And I'm not saying that in a place of being like, oh, it's all about me. I've literally had many guys say to me, Either they feel like they are in my shadow or that if we're at an event and people are asking me for pictures or needing my attention, then he's like, I feel like I'm just here. Like, I don't have time for that. Mm. That's what I'm saying. You need to be okay with being a coat holder. Mm. Right. And that's why sometimes somebody who's ambitious but supportive. Yes. Ambitious in a totally different place. Yes. Like, they want to be a chef. Yes. Oh, please. Yeah, that's the dream. Please. (laughs) They are nurturing. They're ambitious in their space. But when they're doing the Kalen experience, they can support that. Right. And so I can be supportive to them as well. If you're a chef and you open up a restaurant, let me support you. I'll come wash dishes if you lose somebody in the kitchen. I am more than willing to be there. I'll date you. (laughs) That's what I wanted to ask both of you two fabulous people. Are y'all too comfortable being the coat holder? I absolutely will hold a coat. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have been the coat holder. I've dated guys who were much more in the public eye than I was, and I've held a lot of coats. I know what that experience is. I'm actually very comfortable with it. It only gets weird when somebody then goes, wait, aren't you on TV too? And they kind of wrinkle their nose. (laughs) No, I don't care. But wait, Kaylin, you said you wanted to quit grad school, but what we're talking about is men. (laughs) Do you want to quit being single? I would love to quit being single. Tell me why. See, this is also where it gets very complicated because I'm only 26. Baby. But the difference is, is a lot of people that are my age are not where I am as far as with the stability, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. of having a stable career, being financially stable, already living my dream. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, in this gay culture, technically, I would be seen as supposed to be the submissive one. Why? Because, you know, they got this whole like top bottom thing. And so since I'm on the ladder, they expect me to be more submissive. You mean literally if you are submissive in bed, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be submissive in a relationship? Yes, that's the way they say it. I say no. See, people get trapped in that heteronormative mind space of thinking who's the woman and who's the guy. And that's not realistic because these are two guys. And so they want me to be submissive and I'm not. I am very dominant. I'm an only child. I've been on my own. So that's just naturally how I am. And people can't handle that. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm just curious hearing you say you're dominant, Mm -hmm. just even given your personality, you seem comfortable in your skin. How do you let someone go? How do you remove someone from roster? How do you break up with the dude? Oh, you already know. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I have no issues with cutting folks off and letting them go. And that's it. And that's it. And I don't go back. I have never had an ex that I was like, oh, I'm going to go back. And then, you know, you had that one night scene. That's never been me. Once it's over, it's over. Mm. When you quit somebody, how many people are there who, if you walked into a room and saw them, you'd be like, ooh, I got to get out of here. I don't think I would do that. You have any people out there that you're like, ooh, yeah, I ghosted him. It'd probably be a hookup. I've realized that people treat hookups like they want to cuddle and they want to, you know, be intimate. I don't want all that. I came here for one job, okay? <laughs> Let's get it done. We're not doing all that. <laughs> right, and then when we go out in public, do not come up to me like you know me, baby. That was one night only. I probably don't even know your name, sweetheart. So <laughs> let's just keep it pushing. You're 26. Kaylin, what do your DMs look like right now? Oh, my DMs are dry. You got to realize my entire fan base is practically middle-aged white women. <laughs> I don't really have no men in my DMs. Wait, wait, but that's interesting to me. So when you meet dudes, Uh do they know who you are? Do they get it? Because I've seen that sometimes where an athlete who you would think would be surrounded by beautiful women all the time, but all their fans are dudes and they're not into dudes. It's not what you think it's going to be. So do men know who you are? In L.A., men didn't really. And I think that's just because everybody works in the industry that is so oversaturated that you don't really care about stuff like that. Mm. In New York, yes. And it has been a issue. (laughs) A good issue or a bad issue? Oh, no, because I don't like it. Act like you don't know. (laughs) Don't ruin the fantasy for me because then I feel like I have to perform at a certain level because Mm. you want this Mm. image of me that you have in your head. Mm. You are so open about your relationship status, having sex, what you want. Was there ever a time when you were not as open? Were you ever closeted? No, no. I wouldn't say that I was closeted. I think I really hadn't told people, but Kaylin was always Kaylin. I was always this flamboyant. It was not ever given any type of trade, pre-anything. No, I was always this, you know? How can you always be yourself since you're a child? Like, who gave you permission to do that? Who taught you how to do that? Oh, that is such an interesting question. I think it was... Something just in my spirit made me feel as though it wasn't right to be anything else. It wasn't necessarily somebody told me that it was okay. I was just happier Mm. in that space. Because I remember when my mother used to take me like JCPenney Outlet and she'd be like, well, all the cool guys are wearing this or this is in style. And I would just immediately reject it. Always. Mm. Like it took forever (laughs) for me to get an iPhone. Everybody has this. I don't want to be just like everybody else. I always wanted to just be different. And I don't know why that is. It was just who I was. I never wanted to assimilate for anybody, no matter what space I entered. If people try to shut it down or if they try to move you into some other kind of person, you just are like, nah, fuck that. Yeah, I probably cursed them out. Damn, can you fight? You know what I mean? Like, how do you just have the bravery to be like that? I've never been in a fight. I think because I was also from Kansas, if there was one thing I knew how to do is that I could hurt your feelings with some words. (laughs) Is that a Kansas (laughs) street? Listen, I can read somebody down, okay? (laughs) I believe that. 
But you've been carrying this level of confidence since you were a child. Mm-hmm. I read that you attribute all your success to your mom mm-hmm. and you sort of dedicate your work to your mom. Was she the one who stood behind you and beside you and said, Kaylin, you are Kaylin and nobody else? That is very much how she was. My mother never made me to be anybody else. Even when it came to me studying theater, most parents are like, no, you need to find a stable job. Like My mother knew that entertaining was all that I wanted to do. And I honestly believe that that's why I am who I am today is because my mother never made me have a plan B. It was just plan A Mm -hmm. or nothing. So I just put everything that I had into making that dream come true. As an achievement addict, that's such bad language, but I think you know what I'm trying (laughs) Uh to say, right? Uh Is there any one person in your world, maybe it's her, who if they just said and meant it, you're enough, you did enough, you did it, then you could stop climbing the mountain? Or is it you? Are you the person telling yourself, nah, you need to do more? I think it's a little bit of both, both my mother and it's both me. I think because I just innately and naturally was already trying to be the best at everything that I did is kind of how she just adapted and treated it. Maybe if she would have at some point said, you know, Kaylin, it's okay. You don't have to do all this. You're enough. I think that probably would have made a big difference. And it wasn't until recently that I've started to try to unlearn that and also taking care of people all the time. I watched my mother take care of everybody else. Mm. So I think I do that now as well. And trying to find ways to be enough for myself so that I can be enough for other people. Mm-hmm. Do you have some sort of benchmarks that you've decided in your mind you need to hit? Like, oh, I have to get this award or I need to make X amount of dollars before you will consider yourself at a place where you can back off of the achievement ladder, like Chad was saying. I think for me now is finding that job that I can do every single day that lasts forever that will have me set for life. I Uh think that's the success. You know, like (laughs) I think about Ellen, this 19 seasons, being able to have something that you did for every day and now you're set for the rest of your life. Right. That's what I want. Like how Oprah is just living her life and does what she want to do now. I mean, like Modern Family was on the air for so long. To have something that has that type of longevity to where I'm just like, people know who I am. They know what I can do. I'm good. And now everything that I do is just added bonus. Mm. So at that point, would you be comfortable fading back from the public eye? Or do you think in your mind right now, do you think you'd need to still maintain it, maintain the attention? Oh, no, I don't even think I try to maintain the attention now. Like I said, I treat it like a job. I want to get to the point where I can start producing stuff and directing stuff and being on the back burner and helping other dreams come true for other people. I have no intentions of being in the front for the rest of my life. I just want to retire and live in my little estate. Isn't it weird when you start to get a level of success in front of the camera, mm-hmm. which you think is going to be the highest honor because everybody knows who you are. Millions of eyeballs are in you. You find out that the people who do the writing mm-hmm. are most likely to think you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And it's the one thing that is the hardest to cross over. You can produce, you can direct, but if you can't write, they know it. Mm-hmm. Chad knows it. Well, Kevin, do you write? Yes, I do. And do you share your writing? Do you move your writing forward? I think I kind of put that into my own personal content. Everything that I do, even no matter how organic and authentic it looks, it's been thought out. Mm -hmm. I know how to tell the joke. I know where to put the punchline. I know when to put in certain things that's going to make you laugh. For instance, everybody loves my mac and cheese video that I was reacting to them putting the Brussels sprouts and carrots in. That is like the 10th take of that video. Are you Mm -hmm. serious? Yes, Mm -hmm. because I do the reaction and then I'll watch it and I'll be like, that's not funny. Oh, I should have said this there. Oh, I should have done that. And then I will re-record it. When did you start doing that? When did you start editing yourself? Oh, right away. From the jump. Mm. It was a... Cornbread. It was a gentrified cornbread. Yeah, but from the very beginning. (laughs) 
That's my favorite food, by the way, cornbread. Oh, really? Yeah, ain't it great? Yeah. Especially honey cornbread. Yeah, exactly. Non-gentrified. Where do you find these crazy foods? Well, most people just send me the videos. Or they just come up on my Facebook and stuff. After you've seen certain stuff, then the same stuff starts to circulate and pop back up on your feed because people think that that's what you're into. Right. Can I switch topics for a sec? Yeah! I love that you were never closeted. You are always yourself. But I noticed in your videos, you make a lot of references to Jesus and you don't swear. I'm wondering, are you religious and did that play into your upbringing at all? Yes, I grew up in the Baptist church. I think I'm probably more spiritual than I am religious, but I actually curse a lot. The only reason why I don't curse in my videos is because I work at Ellen. And that's daytime television. Right. Mm. Because of the audience. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the original Who videos, I curse a lot. I must be watching edited stuff because I'm just watching you on YouTube and I didn't realize that you were getting edited in there. It's maybe like one or two curse words or like that. But I, I remember there's one specific video that was on OM Caitlin, which is my digital series. And I talked about a fried milk situation. I was cursing so much because I was so delirious because we had taped so early in the morning. That was like the third video I was taping and I was just cursing all the time. But it's a form of expression for myself. You know, like recently I talked about MJ the Musical out here in New York and I was cussing through that whole video and I felt bad about that. Like I felt anxious because I was like, oh, I'm going to have all these people in my comments talk about me cursing. Did you? Do you read the comments? I did read the comments and I was surprised that it wasn't a lot of people like that. I think a lot of people have started to accept the fact that Kaylin's growing up (laughs) and he's not, you know, a kid anymore. I mean, I started at Ellen five years ago. I was still in school. Oh my gosh. Has it been that long? Yeah, it has. I'm grown now. Kaylin, what was your life right before Ellen? And what was your digital imprint like right before Ellen? Oh, it was nothing. I was still living in Philadelphia. And so November of 2017 is when I made the first video. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. only took a month before I was at Ellen. What? Yeah, because I made the first video November 2017. Then I shot Ellen December 13th of 2017. And I moved to L.A. January 2018. Mm. That's insane. That is insane. Yeah. It all happened in a manner of a month. Then now had all these followers and had all this success. I mean, just in that same year, I was already working at the Billboard Awards. And I even booked that Seth Rogen movie that same year. It all just happened. Was your head spinning? Did your circle of friends change at all? What happened? Well, the first year was really tough. It was really, really tough. And I was actually pretty depressed the first year because everything happened so fast. People always say, don't change. But what I realized is that everybody around me was changing. Mm -hmm. Mm. And this is something that I've been thinking about recently. I think that I was holding on to a lot of friendships and connections that I had outgrown for the sake of being able to say that I hadn't changed. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of realizing that my life was different, that I wasn't the same person because now I was kind of maturing and growing up on an accelerated rate because of the industry that I was in and the things that I was being forced to have to figure out and take on on like bringing on a team, hiring a publicist, learning how to operate within the media, what to say, what not to say, juggling all those things and people not really understanding that. It can be very lonely Mm -hmm. at the top at first because you're kind of finding your footing and figuring out who fits and who doesn't. When those old friends you were holding on to that sort of gave you the cred of saying, I haven't changed. I still have all my old friends. As if change is bad. Right. As if growing is bad somehow. Leaving people behind is a bad thing. How did you come to the realization that you sort of had to quit some of those people? One is that I had to understand that Mm -hmm. that concept of don't change or the stay humble is actually a microaggression. Mm. 
Go ahead and ding, ding, ding. Yeah, with ding, ding, ding on, don't change. Stay humble. Stay humble. Because it has everything to do with everyone else's insecurities and them wanting you to stay at a level that they know you at so that they can be comfortable with that version of you. Yes. You know, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. They want you to remain relatable so that they feel better about themselves. In reality, humility should be based off if I am still kind, if I still show respect. When we walking through Target, I hold the door open for you. That's what it should be based off of. It should not be based off the luxuries that I participate or the life I want to live. Like if I want to fly first class, I've worked my ass off to be able to afford first class. So I'm going to be in first class. That has nothing to do with humility. Chad? Yes? I feel like he's saying all the words. Chad likes the idea of people knowing who he is. Mm, Okay. And he's an author, and he's a comedy writer, and he's a dramatic writer, and he's respected, but he doesn't have all the eyeballs on him. But you tell him, Chad. I always want to caveat every time you say that. I want the parts of that that I want. Right. I want to be able to sell my projects easily. I want to be able to finance my own projects. I want it if I can control it, but I know I can't control it. Right. So it is a bit of a paradox because I see what it affords you, Julie, but I also see how you make your world small so that it doesn't get out of control. Yeah. But how did you quit those people, Kaylin? How did you have the conversations with those people who needed you to be small? I think people know that I am very confrontational. I am definitely not afraid of a confrontation. God bless. And I think for me, it was very much like, this is what happened and I don't like it. Don't not tell me sorry. I'm not a words person, okay? I care about actions because you can tell me sorry all you want to, but if the actions do not change, I'm not going to sit here and participate with you because at the end of the day, everybody can be replaced, no matter what. And so it was very much a conversation. This is what I need. If this cannot be met, then there's no friendship here. There's no relationship. There's no need in continuing this. Can you be as specific as you want to be about the people who have made that journey with you? Oh, well, you know, I think the people that made the journey with me are definitely the people that were there as the transition happened. Right. As far as when everything started to go big with Ellen, but that were more interested in making sure that my mental health was good. We're more so checking on me, the person. For instance, just last month, I went to Big Bear and I invited a group of my college friends, people that have really been ride or die for me. I was like, come on, I'll treat you all to a ski trip. Let's go to Big Bear and let's just have a great time. And so I think of those people and I think about those friendships that have remained that check on me every now and then. I really appreciate those. When you do something like that, when you're Gatsby and you take your friends to something big and fun, Mm -hmm. are the relationships still easy? Can you still relate to them and converse with them the way that you used to? Is there always this undercurrent that You paid for everything, so nobody can cuss you out on this trip. Nobody can tell you how they really feel on this trip. Is that a thing or is that a fear? It changes no matter what. I think I've come to terms with the fact of that I probably will never be able to be in a space, or at least I hope I will be, of being able to receive what I put in. And not necessarily in monetary value, but of just the thought and the care. The issue with being, quote unquote, the strong friend or the person that is financially stable like that is that majority of people will treat you as though, well, Caitlin's got it. Right. Caitlin's okay. Right. And I think that's where it becomes hard is because you kind of just feel like you got to take care of yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And your real friends are the ones who are going to come up after the house party or the ski trip or whatever and be like, 
what can I pitch in for? You did so much. Is there something I can help you with? How can I cover? Right. Even if it's minimal, just the act of acknowledging that you are not an ATM. So one of my least favorite days of the year is actually my birthday. Oh. Because the common thing that has happened is that people tend to not show up on that day. People are always like, well, what do we get Kaylin if he can buy anything that he wants? And people don't even put in the effort to try and think about it or figure it out. The mm. royal family has Christmas every year. This is one of the richest families in the world, and they still get together and exchange gifts. So don't tell me everybody has everything. They make it funny. Right. Like, it's all about meaningful and funny. Mm-hmm. Can't get the Queen of England something she doesn't have. Right. She has a country... Right. <laughs> so don't tell me you can't get Kalen something just because he already has all the clothes he wants, whatever. You can get something meaningful. I, I agree with you, Kalen. I hate birthdays. I want to ask a follow-up question to that because a part of what we're doing in this show is also Julie and I reconciling with and building a new friendship in real time in front of people, basically. So I just want to ask straight up. Julie, Mm -hmm. do you feel like the people around you, myself included now, do you feel like I offer enough to be like, oh, I'm sorry, let me grab that? I mean, you have a whole enterprise kind of swirling around you at all times. That is what you see. When he comes out here, there's a lot of people in the house. There's kids coming and going. There's a lot that happens. And in those moments, I'm in go mode and I never offer if I hope to get something back. Mm. It's business. Yes, our friendship is our friendship, but I would never go out with a friend and throw a credit card down and not mean it. You're giving me so much. I said it. I revealed my big insecurity here. I'm not a writer and you are. We may have these imbalances like, oh, more people know me than know you, but you're still the intellectual. That's the cred I want. I want to be smart. Kaylin, I think you can probably already tell this, but Julie is 99.9 percentile smart person, especially in Hollywood. She's kind of like a genius, but I think being a writer is just intimidation wall that I feel like if she sat down for an hour, she could write something fantastic. I'm sure she does it all the time and just doesn't share it. What do you think, Kaylin? Do you think it's scary that that's the final frontier? You can be in front of millions of people and be funny and you know how to edit yourself, but that wall going to the other side of the writer wall, what do you think? I think it is scary, but I think you have to give yourself more credit because I'm sure you've been able to be handed a script and you read a script and you'd be like, that doesn't work. Or I shouldn't say that there. I should probably say this. That's being a part of a writer. Uh, Yeah. This is some advice from an old lady. But when you're out there trying to sell something, if you have written it, it is so much easier. The more you can establish yourself in that place, because it is sort of the final frontier, especially for actors. Mm -hmm. You leave the room and they go, "Mm, he wasn't tall enough. You're like, what? Mm -hmm. You get the job because I wasn't tall enough? I am a full person and you can't deny that. So I'm going to create my own content, which is how you started, Kaylin. And it was smart as fuck. But eventually you might want to write it too. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, another thing that I think about this writing thing, because I think about it when it comes to music. Whitney Houston never picked up a pen. (laughs) That's true. But that didn't make her not great. I think the talent speaks for itself, Julie. You are still, at the end of the day, (laughs) Julie Bowen, regardless. And that is enough. I actually think she is a humble person. It's taken me many months to get to that feeling that I actually believe she is humble. And at the same time, I think she knows exactly who the fuck she is. I see her lean on people with her knowing that Mm -hmm. and using it as leverage, as she should. But there's a Uh follow-up, Kaylin. It's going to sound funny, but I actually do mean it. It's a request for advice as a young Black man who has had a very 
lucrative working relationship with a white woman of a certain net worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. How did I not see this coming? I don't know. <laughs> you should have. Any advice just on how to work with such a person, how to maintain a friendship with the person, how to keep honesty in that relationship? You know what I'm saying? In all fairness, you and I are partners. That's right. Ellen was your boss. Well, but I think the way that she cultivated the relationship, it felt more like a friend. Yeah. Because I remember my first time being a guest DJ, I remember her coming up to me and saying, whatever you want to do, we'll do it. She very much had a belief in me. I think the tricky thing with her was that I very much approached it as I want you to feel as though I'm your friend. I do not want you to feel as though I am an employee or that I am just obsessed with the being of who you are. I cultivated that relationship. My advice to that is, one, always understanding the difference in the identity and not getting clouded with just because you work in that space that that makes you equal. Because in the society, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And also learning how can you benefit from that privilege, you know? Right. And how can that other person also then benefit from the knowledge and experience that you have in this other world? Yes. To speak to that, just to give anecdote to it, I was in her house two days ago uh -huh. and the math tutor showed up. Uh -huh. And every time a new person walks in the house when I'm there, and this time I was in the kitchen putting some trash away. Oh, were you the cook? No, we were. I just wonder. He was helping out. What does he think I am doing here? Mm. And he didn't speak. I don't think he thought a single thing of it. The number of people coming in and out. Why? Is this a racially charged thing? It's not a thing. Julie's defending his honor already. <laughs> All I'm saying is my experience was, I wonder what he thinks about right. me being here. And it has nothing to do with that individual person itself. For instance, when I was in high school, you know, I did theater. And a lot of times we would go over to different people's house and they would have a party. These parties would be wild. And I remember one time I was at a party and it's two black people there. And I remember all the kids ran out to the street and they started like popping fireworks, right? Mm. Uh -huh. I'm going to stay in the house because if the police pull up, yep. mm -hmm. they are going to come after me, right. you know? And so it's like we have to be aware of all those situations, you know? And I know this may sound pretty crazy, but I mean, I even get that treatment when I go up to board for first class in a plane. Yep. Mm -hmm. People don't think that I belong there, that it's not my turn to board. Yeah, that's a fact. Yep. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read Black Magic, but Chad's book talks about that, and it mm. has been so invaluable to me. But what you just said, to be aware that somebody in a room being one of two, one of three people of color, they feel different. Mm -hmm. And in Chad's book, he talks about how his dad always said, you drive under the speed limit, no headwear, mm -hmm. no loud music. And what was the other limit on the number of people in the car? Two. And I have taken that one because my kids get in the car and they immediately are cranking the tunes. They got their hoodies on. And I was like, uh-uh. You know, we talk about DEI stuff and you study it at school, but this is really where the rubber meets the road. You don't get to do that. There's a lot of concrete things I've gotten from reading Chad and talking to Chad, but I love hearing it from somebody else, too, and to get that mm -hmm. perspective. Right. I mean, and even to that point, if we go back to when we talk about success, yeah, a lot of my issues and why I never feel enough is because of my blackness, mm -hmm. because there's this exceptionalism that we are held to. 
that we are never enough, that we have to always strive and fight. I mean, we even knew that from Oprah not being able to buy a purse, yep. Yep. you know, in a store mm-hmm. yep. when she's already Oprah Winfrey. Right. And Kaylin, I just want to say I admire already about you that you have kind of the wisdom and wherewithal about where you stand and how you need to move, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't dampened your spirit. And that's really hard to do Mm. because I find myself stuck in between those two all the time. Mm -hmm. Can I be big and expansive and also avoid the swift acts of the law or whatever? Mm -hmm. And that shit feels impossible. That's so interesting. Kalen is funny and he's embraces himself and he's working in a white industry. And you really do struggle with finding that if you are big or too funny, that somehow it will be held against you by DMs and my text chain. Yeah, it's them. If I get too comfortable I have met Kaylin now and now I'm like, oh, I think I understand him differently. Mm-hmm. When I just see Kaylin as a persona, the first question is, why do these white people fuck with him? Mm. He must be selling himself to them in some mm. regard. He seems real now. Now I'm looking at him. He's confrontational. He's honest. He's direct. He's fun. Wait, what do you think about that, Kaylin, that he just said that? I'm really curious. That's something that I've always especially since I've been in the industry, that is often the perception. I think it's because they see any proximity to whiteness as someone that is code switching or that is shucking and jiving for the white people. And I think when I first started, it's like I knew how to play the game. I knew how to create the success so that I could be able to uplift other black voices. And I think I try to make it clear that everything that I do is for the purpose of representation and visibility so that I can then offer up those same resources and those same platforms to people that come after me that don't need a white person to give them that opportunity, but they can get it from me individually. I understand and I take that criticism. I think I'm always the person being like, well, let me know if I do something that is misrepresentative of the community so that I can do better or even when it comes to when I am given opportunities to produce stuff or if I'm coming up with a segment, the first thing is that I'm talking about diversity. I'm talking about how do I bring in more black voices? How do I uplift these voices? So I think I try to just make sure that in the work itself that I am proving myself to that. I was almost even hesitant to share that I had that feeling and thought before we did the interview because I want you to do your thing. I want you to be big. You give somebody else permission to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here with Julie Bowen, and I know what my group chat might have to say about that. I know what someone who's jealous or insecure or angry is going to have to say about that. And that's none of my business. And it really shouldn't be any of your business either. So I'm honestly grateful for how you're moving because I think it creates more space for somebody else. Well, I think sometimes we only see the Black experience within the entertainment industry to be one way. There are a lot of people, though, I will say, and I think this is why I don't get upset at the critique. There are a lot of people in this industry that do get that white thumbs up. And that's all that they want. Right. No doubt. And that's all that they care about. Mm -hmm. One of Chad's big quits was he used to work at Google and he quit the tech world. He quit the corporate world, which was basically a white ladder. Mm -hmm. It's a corporate structure. And he walked away from that. And he wants to not have to answer to that kind of a structure. Do you see, Kalen, in your future, do you dream of having a... Tyler Perry style company where you get to be at the top and hire as many voices of color that you want, as much diversity and inclusion as you see fit? 
Absolutely. And I think I even do that now. For instance, and Julie, you understand this. When we are traveling, we're on set and stuff like that. Yeah. I do not let any production company hire the hair and makeup team unless I select them. I don't. I just was shooting something and every place we went, I was given five different people and they had to be people of color because I do not have the time to have to explain my shade or my identity in order to make sure that I look good on camera. Right. I think even that's important to me. When I walk onto a set, I look at every part of the crew to see who is a part of that. Even if it's a PA, a lot of people get on set and if it's a PA, they don't pay them no mind. If I walk on there and there's a black PA or a person of color I put all my attention into them, and mainly also because we are more than likely the same age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to feel as though they can use me to feel uplifted and that they can gain knowledge from me. And, you know, and Chad probably understands this and probably has privilege in this. A lot of black people can apply for a job and not get it because of their name. And Chad is not necessarily uh-huh. a black name. <laughs> no, you know? it's not. And that's not a mistake. I'm sure my parents were aware of that phenomenon in naming me. Now, they told me you're named after the country in the middle of Africa. And that is also true. But at the end of the day, my name sounds like a random white dude. Yeah. That's the vibe. You are so soulful and so interesting. You have a gravitas about you, Kaylin. I mean, you're funny as shit, and everyone knows that. So first, I would like to recognize that. Thank you. You have a real presence and a lot to say about your community, what you want in this world. And I just want to really thank you for going there with us because I'm sure that a lot of people just want make us laugh. Mm. Would you ever quit comedy? No, it's my bread and butter. <laughs> it's something that I just know how to do. I don't consider myself to be a stand-up comedian. I just understand comedy. I can watch something and I can tell you if it's going to be funny or not or if that other people are going to laugh at it. I just know it. It's just in my bones. Yeah, I do. You're just special. Yeah. I'm so inspired by you, man. I'm going to be thinking about you for a long time. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. You really are making space for other people to be big and themselves and unapologetic about it and still have their eye on being inclusive, being representative, having a bigger picture. And Mm -hmm. I respect it so much. And I cannot thank you enough for coming. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I hope that even if people out there doubt that or if they don't even see that through the content, I hope that my work behind the scenes is able to reflect that once I leave this earth and I'm able to leave a legacy that proves that I was willing to create space and hold platform and let these voices be heard and have the opportunities that I've been afforded. I love this man. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.